The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. It's Friday, August 26th, 2022. I'm Jackson Bird. Today, Google ran a study using its own pre-roll ads on YouTube to try to pre-bunk people before they fall for conspiracy theories. Plus, scientists have found the first ever evidence of carbon dioxide in a planet's atmosphere beyond our solar system. And the curious case of the one song that used to crash any laptop it played on. Here's some cool stuff for your ride home. Over the last several years, we've seen some moderate attempts by social media companies to combat the rampant mis- and disinformation running wild on their platforms. Twitter introduced labels warning when a tweet may contain disputed information. Facebook added labels encouraging people to get official voting information in the U.S. during the 2020 election on all relevant posts. Almost every platform continues to include labels linking to official information about COVID-19, on any post that mentions it, and occasionally removing the most misleading posts about the pandemic. But with many studies over the years showing that debunking and fact-checking don't always work, and in fact sometimes make people double down on their beliefs, some platforms are investigating additional ways that they can combat misinformation. Enter pre-bunking. Pre-bunking is when you attempt to safeguard people against falling for conspiracy theories and misinformation by telling them what to look out for. Now, it's typically not about telling them about specific conspiracy theories or arming them with facts on particular topics, but rather more of a media literacy lesson. Or at least that's the form it took in a recent study run by the University of Cambridge and Google's Jigsaw Unit. Publishing their findings in Science Advances on Wednesday, the team created a series of 90-second cartoons that played as pre-roll ads before regular YouTube videos for U.S.-based users over 18 who had previously watched political content on the platform. Quoting NBC News, To avoid turning off political partisans, the researchers created their five cartoons without using any real political or media figures, choosing instead to illustrate their points with fictional characters. One cartoon explains the concept of an ad hominem attack, in which a person attacks someone by making an argument rather than addressing the merits of the argument itself. It features a brief clip from The Simpsons to illustrate its point, while other cartoons feature characters from the Star Wars franchise, South Park, or or Family Guy. The result is videos that are half rhetoric class, half pop culture deep cut. We can, in a very apolitical way, help people gain resistance to manipulation online, said Beth Goldberg, head of research at Jigsaw, a Google subsidiary that does research into misinformation and other subjects. End quote. The team further explained pre-bunking in a recent piece in The Conversation. Quote, As opposed to pre-bunking, debunking, or fact-checking misinformation, has several problems. It's often difficult to establish what the truth is. Fact-checks also frequently fail to reach 
the people who are most likely to believe the misinformation, and getting people to accept fact checks can be challenging, especially if people have a strong political identity. Studies show that publishing fact checks online does not fully reverse the effects of misinformation, a phenomenon known as the continued influence effect. So far, researchers have struggled to find a solution that can rapidly reach millions of people. Inoculation theory is the notion that you can forge psychological resistance against attempts to manipulate you, much like a medical vaccine is a weakened version of a pathogen that prompts your immune system to create antibodies. Pre-bunking interventions are mostly based on this theory. End quote. Two notes from me. One, I find it slightly ironic how much vaccination language is used around pre-bunking, considering one of the biggest hurdles of misinformation right now is vaccine skepticism. And two, The Verge points out that some of the studies saying fact-checking might not work or even backfire is disputed. But I would say if fact-checking maybe works and maybe doesn't, there's no reason not to experiment with pre-bunking as well. You know, let's do it all. Although I would also say there's a certain anecdotal precedent for fact-checking to backfire on social media in particular. You know, any of those labels that pop up saying someone's post is a disputed claim are sometimes received by the people making the post as something that makes them angry or makes them hold their beliefs closer to their chest, showing that big tech is in bed with the liberal elites, or is worn as a badge of honor. You know, those who get kicked off of platforms for spreading misinformation occasionally act as martyrs to their communities. So personally, I think this concept of a more general media literacy removed from any specific facts or topics could be more effective. You know, I don't know how effective Twitter's feature is that asks if you've read an article before retweeting it, but that seems like a better nonpartisan media literacy strategy than some of their more topic-specific labels. As the researchers of this study wrote, quote, When you're trying to build resilience, it's useful to avoid being too direct in telling people what to believe, because that might trigger something called psychological reactance. Reactance means that people feel their freedom to make decisions is being threatened, leading them to dig in their heels and rejecting new information. Inoculation theory is about empowering people to make their own decisions about what to believe. End quote. And as Goldberg pointed out, pre-bunking tactics are not meant to replace fact checks, information labels, moderation tools, or anything else. We have a monumental issue on our hands with misinformation, and we've got to throw everything at it we can. And more general media literacy pre-bunking is, in a way, more efficient. Goldberg said, quote, We don't have to anticipate what a politician is going to say or what the vaccine disinformation campaign is going to say next week. We just have to say, we know there's always going to be fear-mongering, end quote. But is pre-bunking more effective? Well, here's how this most recent study worked. After letting these videos run as pre-roll ads and be watched by one million people, they reached five million people, but one million of them stuck around to watch, the researchers then followed up with a random subset of 22,000 people who saw the ads, serving them a one-question quiz to assess if they recognized the manipulation techniques seen in the ad. That quiz didn't follow immediately after a person viewed the video, but rather appeared sometime within 24 hours after they saw it, and on average users saw the question 18 hours after viewing the video. 
The people who watched the ad were 5 to 10% more likely to recognize the manipulation tactics than a control group. And in smaller controlled studies, the researchers recruited 5,000 participants online and had them watch the pre-bunking videos or a neutral control video, and then view fake social media posts, some of which used the tactics discussed in the video. And once again, the people who had seen the video were significantly more likely to identify the manipulation tactics. But one question remaining is how long of a timeline these pre-bunking methods can last for. If you see one 90-second video about false dichotomies, will you still remember it two weeks later when you encounter a false dichotomy in some videos served up to you by the algorithm, or especially when you start listening to a podcast from someone you think you agree with? As The Verge puts it, quote, The group is still far from testing whether pre-bunking will make people critically evaluate information they want to believe from sources they like, which is how a lot of false information spreads across social media. The holy grail will be, can we actually measure in the moment if you're able to apply that pre-bunking lesson and recall it a week later when you see Alex Jones using emotional language, says Goldberg. I'm not sure that we will get significantly closer in the near term. But for now, the work opens the door to more research on whether a misinformation vaccine makes sense, end quote. And thanks to the success of this study, Google will be running an ad campaign using similar videos next month in Poland and the Czech Republic in an attempt to counter disinformation about refugees and the Russia-Ukraine war. So even though the videos are neutral, the reasons for running them, at least behind the scenes, aren't. And I do wonder if popularizing the fact that these videos exist will create some kind of resistance to them. Google does not currently have plans to run these campaigns for the U.S. midterm elections or any other potential bed of misinformation around the world, but they did explain how simple it would be for any other company, nonprofit organization, or individual to run the ads themselves using the cartoons they created, which are marked as free for all to use as they wish. But Shannon McGregor, senior researcher in communication at UNC Chapel Hill, who was not involved in the study, was critical of that, telling NBC News in an email, quote, In the end, the author propose that those worried about disinformation on social media, including YouTube, should spend more money on those platforms to run ads to protect against disinformation. In many ways, that is wholly unsatisfying for basically all stakeholders except the platforms. End quote. A fair point, except that I think the researchers at Google's Jigsaw unit were just saying, hey, here's the one campaign that's been approved so far. If anyone else wants to do more while we work through bureaucratic red tape, go for it. And personally, I'm curious how much this could be engineered in the future. You know, there are so many levers YouTube has to pull with its algorithm. Would there be a way to trigger some of these videos to play as pre-rolls on a video after someone has watched 10 videos of increasingly volatile political commentary on autoplay. You know, I know that's not exactly pre-bunking because it's coming in the middle of a marathon viewing session, but I would be curious about its effects in a situation like that, and if that were something YouTube would be willing to implement. You know, would that cross the line in terms of privacy, more so than some of their existing algorithmic and ad-based behavior? I don't know, but using their advertising and brand tools for public good in this way is certainly intriguing.
For the first time ever, carbon dioxide has been detected in the atmosphere of an exoplanet. Using data from the new JWST and publishing the results in the journal Nature this week, this is the first time there has been clear evidence of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere of a planet beyond our solar system. The CO2 was detected on a planet called WASP-39b, which was discovered back in 2011 in the constellation Virgo. Quoting NASA, WASP-39b is a hot gas giant with a mass roughly one-quarter that of Jupiter, about the same as Saturn, and a diameter 1.3 times greater than Jupiter. Its extreme puffiness is related in part to its high temperature, about 1,600 degrees Fahrenheit or 900 degrees Celsius. Unlike the cooler, more compact gas giants in our solar system, WASP-39b orbits very close to its star, only about one-eighth the distance between the Sun and Mercury, completing one circuit in just over four Earth days. The planet's discovery was made based on ground-based detections of the subtle, periodic dimming of light from its host star as the planet transits, or passes, in front of the star. Previous observations from other telescopes, including NASA's Hubble and Spitzer Space Telescopes, revealed the presence of water vapor, sodium, and potassium in the planet's atmosphere. JWST's unmatched infrared sensitivity has now confirmed the presence of carbon dioxide on the planet as well. End quote. As Phil Plate points out in his Bad Astronomy column on Sci-Fi Wire, due to that extremely high temperature and, you know, being a gas giant, WASP-39b is not Earth-like. But the reason this is so exciting is because it proves JWST will be able to detect CO2 on other planets, including terrestrial ones like Earth. And the detection by JWST was extremely strong. The previous Spitzer observations of WASP-39b hinted at there being CO2 present, but the data was ambiguous. The data from JWST is clean and super strong. Without going into the nitty-gritty details, link in the show notes to check out the graphs and explanations if you want them. Plate says the astronomers reported a 99.9 repeated percent probability of the CO2 in the atmosphere being real. That's pretty huge. And again, like a lot of these early findings from JWST, it's more proof of concept, learning what this telescope is capable of, and thereby understanding what more we might be able to learn in the future. Well, here's a weird story to round out your week. As retold recently by Raymond Chen on Windows Dev Blogs, back in 2005, it was discovered that any time a certain song was played on certain laptops, the laptops would crash. Just this one song. And not as, like, a malware thing. It wasn't a specific file. It was this song, no matter how you played it. And it wouldn't just crash the laptop it was playing on. If you placed another laptop beside the one playing it, that other laptop would crash too. The song? Janet Jackson's 1989 Rhythm Nation. Considering this problem was first detected 16 years after that song was on the Billboard charts, it probably took a while to even discover it was an issue, and one that affected multiple people. Once it was filed as an issue with Windows XP product support, the manufacturers started investigating, and turns out that Rhythm Nation contained one of the natural resonant frequencies for the 5400 RPM hard drives being used on those laptops, as well as some manufactured by their competitors. The investigating manufacturer then built a custom filter that would detect and remove those frequencies during playback. As Simon Sharwood wrote at the register, quote, 
Few modern machines have hard disk drives, never mind that rotate at the unfashionably slow speed of 5,400 revolutions per minute. The Register nonetheless reports this news because the Meter Corporation has seen fit to list it on the Register of Common Vulnerabilities and Exposures, the definitive list of cybersecurity vulnerabilities we all need to watch out for. While the bug seems comical, to the point of basically seeming to be a bit of a joke, side-channel attacks are a real threat. Israeli researcher Mordecai Guri has found ways to attack computers, including by making memory emit radiation in the same bands used by Wi-Fi and encoding information into those emissions, end quote. And TextBot points to another technique called Air Viber that can steal data from PCs with no online access through the use of vibrations in combination with malware that encodes the data transmitted. So we may not need to worry about Rhythm Nation crashing our laptops anymore, but threats accidental and purposeful that make clever use of physics still abound. Well, that's going to be it from me for this week. This show was produced by Ride Home Media. I'm Jackson Bird, and I will talk to you again on Monday.